scripture reading is from Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, verses 13 and 14, and verses 32 and 33. So I believe you can follow along behind me on the screen or read along with me in the paper bulletin or, of course, an app on a device or in an actual copy of the Bible. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Merah, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebohamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Makathites, but Geshur and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. Did a wonderful job reading all those names. Morning, LBC. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And that's what we pray for this morning, Lord, that you would light our path before us, that you would shine the light of your truth on our hearts this morning. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come, fall afresh upon us this morning, that our faith would be renewed and strengthened, and that you would give us the gift of true repentance of heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I'm going to read something for you this morning, and bear with me while I read this. Don't fall asleep. The property in which the interval estate for years and remainder over as tenant in common is herein conveyed and upon which this instrument shall operate 
is a portion of land lot numbered 169 in the Southland District of Rabin County, Georgia, and being Unit 2, Group 6, South Meadows, Part 1 of the Sky Valley Incorporated Subdivision in said lots in said state and county, as is shown upon plat of survey. Now, you probably zoned out a little bit when you heard me read all of those words. Those words probably don't mean a whole lot to you, but these words for my family mean a whole lot. These words describe a property that we received as an inheritance uh, from Debbie's mom and dad after they passed away, and it really is something for us because it actually does mean that we own that actual property. It is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's a statement from them of their love towards us. Well, we are now entering into a long section of the book of Joshua. Uh, chapters 13 through 21 are a section just like what I just finished reading. They describe the allotment of the land to Israel. Nine chapters worth of description. And just as a preview of what is ahead, I plan on preaching on, of course, uh, chapter 13 today, chapter 14 next week, and then we're going to fast forward to chapter 20. And so as we look at this section of scripture, very long, uh, you need to really grab hold of kind of a high level view of why this is important. Now, why would the author spend nine chapters, spill a lot of ink uh, with such mundane descriptions? I'm going to give you a couple reasons to think about. First is this. First is this. This is a historical record. This is a, a legal deed, if you will, showing forth that God keeps his promises. In, in, in gory detail, we're going to see it. You're going to see the names of real towns. You're going to see real geographical features like hills and valleys and mountains, the river, the sea. All of these boundaries, all of these lines are being shown forth. And it's historical in nature, right? If, if the Bible was just fiction, we could just, why would it be in here? Why such detail? Because it's, because it's true. These are real towns. Now, I didn't mention chapter 12. We actually skipped chapter 12. If you go back and look at chapter 12, you're going to see in chapter 12 that there are 31 kings that Joshua defeated. 31 real kings and kingdoms. It's a statement of historical fact. History is saying God keeps his promises. Secondly, why is this whole section of scripture important for us? Well, it's a reminder. It's a reminder. Remember that this is written to future generations of Israelites. And they have here basically the deed to the land. And it's a reminder that they would have the responsibility to possess it. They're accountable to God to possess this land. It would also be a reminder in this way. It would be a warning to even future generations. Because you guys know from Bible history that Israel is going to lose the land. So this would stand as a testament that that land, this, this, this detailed description, that's your land, Israel, was supposed to be your land, but you failed to possess 
my promises, and why is that? Your lack of faith, your sin, your disobedience. And so it's a warning against lack of faith, unbelief, which leads to disobedience. So this morning, as we unpack chapter 13, and we look at this allotment of land, we're going to see some things about this inheritance. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the giver of the inheritance. We're going to see the incomplete inheritance. And we're going to see, lastly, the better inheritance. Okay? The giver of the inheritance, the incomplete inheritance, and the better inheritance. I want to jump right into that first point, the giver of the inheritance. We see this in verses 1 and 2, and then jumping over to 6. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites. And then jumping up to 6, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. The giver of the inheritance is God. And I want you guys to see a couple things about the giver. One is he's going to challenge Joshua. He's going to continue to challenge Joshua even though Joshua is old in age. And secondly, he's going to remind Joshua of a few things because Joshua still needs it. Let's look at that first sub-point that God continues to challenge Joshua even in his old age. And the question is, how old is Joshua at this point? Well, scholars think that he was about 90 years of age. If you go to the end of the book of Joshua, you'll see that Joshua dies at the age of 110. So if he's 90 years of age, well, he's well into his retirement years. I find it interesting, you know, in, in verse 1. Uh, the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Much of, many of us, as we get older in our age, we deny uh, the fact that we are old. But if God says you're old, I guess you're, you're old. <laughs> well, we're at a time in Israel's history now. The conquest is done. We're in chapter 13. The war is complete. And Joshua, maybe he would be tempted to say, look at all that I have done. I want to sit back and enjoy all the fruits of my labor. I want to kick back and have a cold one. But God is telling him, no, there is still more work left to do, still land to possess. And if you dug into the description, I didn't read it again in these verses. If you looked at the geographical description of what remains, it's actually, most of it is actually the outer edges of the promised land. So Joshua has indeed gone in and captured the center of the land, but there is land left and it's on the edges. And unless we think that, well, that's, that's not really that important, right? Uh, look at what it says, the land that remains. It's the region of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that later on in time, the Philistines would become a problem for Israel. They would be the arch enemies of David and Saul. So this challenge to Joshua is something that he needed to pay attention to. It wasn't something insignificant. It wasn't something little. We also, we should not underestimate the significance of obeying God even in matters that we think are small and insignificant. 
God is challenging Joshua, even at this old age, to continue on steadfastly in obedience to him. And so he also challenges Joshua in another way. He challenges him to press on in his faith. He's old now, but God is urging him forward. And just like Joshua, for us, we are to continue on in our faith. Paul would say that he would fight the good fight. He would finish the race. He would keep the faith. And we are encouraged to do the same thing. When it comes to our faith in Christ, no matter your age, there is no retirement. There is no retirement. We keep on pressing on in the faith. Paul would say it this way, we are to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14. So as Christians, if we are in Christ, we ought to be pressing on in our faith, especially as we're coming to the end of our life. And the good news is this, we can press on. We can press on with joy and strength, even though our strength is failing. And why is that? It's because God is at work in us. He's the one that's actually causing us to persevere. Look at what he says to Joshua. He says, I myself will drive them out. It's a reminder. Who's doing the work? God is doing the work. So if he is doing the work, we can press on with joy because he is the one that is accomplishing it on our behalf. One of the dangers for Joshua is that he would look back at all that he achieved And if you look at chapter 12 again, you're going to see that giant list of 31 kings. You would look back at that and he would think, wow, what an amazing streak of victory, right? Except for that one small hiccup at AI, we have 31 kings that I have conquered. I have conquered them. I've killed them. I've taken their kingdoms. And possibly he would forget that it was God who is at work in him and through him. And so we see here also that the giver of the inheritance, God himself, is reminding Joshua of his promise to him. He's reminding Joshua that the story is not about you. It's not about you. Joshua, you're not the main story here. Even though he might have had 31 notches on his belt, or maybe 31 marks on his sword, God is reminding him, this story is not about you, it's about me. Verse 6 is very emphatic. It says, I myself, I myself. And so it's at the greatest point of success in Joshua's life that he is most vulnerable to sinning. I want you to note this encouragement that that, uh, Joshua receives from the Lord, uh, how different this is than prior encouragements Uh, You've seen this before over and over again in the scriptures where God tells Joshua, don't fear, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to I'm going to give them into your hands. He says this at his commissioning. He says this when Joshua is recovering from the failure at Ai. He says this when he confronts uh, the southern kings, the five kings of the Amorites. He says this when they confronts the northern kings. He's always telling him, don't fear. Do not, do not be dismayed. But here, we don't have that. We have something different. He just says, I myself will drive them out. It's a reminder, who's doing the work? 
Does Joshua not need to be reminded not to fear or be dismayed? Perhaps not. Perhaps now, after 31 victories, he's more prone to pride and not fear or discouragement. So Joshua is receiving from the Lord just exactly what he needs to hear, that all the achievements and successes that he has gained are from the Lord. It's a message that we also need to hear. Joshua also is hearing this when he is old, okay? And I just recounted for you the various times that he has received this throughout his life. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, does Joshua again need to be reminded that God is the one that's doing the work? Maybe Joshua is thinking, hey, I've got this, Lord, I've got this. I've heard this before. You don't, you don't have to remind me. It reminds me of, of children when you're trying to help them do something. Oh, no, no, I've got it. I've got it. Let me suggest that when God speaks to us, he is not wasting his breath. He knows Joshua through and through. He knows everything about Joshua. He knows exactly what Joshua needs to hear in the moment. And he needs to hear I myself will drive them out. Why? Because we are prone to forget the promises of God. Over and over, we're prone to forget the promises of God. And so the older you get in the faith, you begin to realize that you don't actually need something new, some earth-shattering new theology. The older you grow in the faith, you begin to realize that you actually just, what you need is to be reminded of what you already know. That's what's going on here with Joshua. He's being reminded of what he already knows, but he has perhaps, again, forgotten it. Many of you know the singer Mariah Carey. I heard her on the radio for the first time in 1990, before many of you were actually born. Uh, she's an amazing, amazing singer, amazing vocal abilities, and she went on this successful streak for about a decade, and then she hit a number of setbacks. How did she recover? Well, she actually did something stunning. She took on a vocal coach. Can you imagine that? Mariah Carey going back to a vocal coach. Well, she did that, and she became successful about five years later. She recovered. Mariah Carey went back to the basics of what she already knew. She was a pro, but she went back to the basics. We need to go to the back to the basics of the gospel. You see, we don't grow so old that we graduate on to some greater truth. Actually, the greatest truth, the greater truth in the scripture is the good news of Jesus Christ. We need this daily. I was at Presbytery uh, this past week. Uh, if you don't know what Presbytery is, it's the gathering of the pastors in our denomination in Central Florida. Um, and one of the things we do there is we actually, we get to hear a sermon. We get to participate in the Lord's Supper. We get to worship. Uh, and it's a great thing for pastors because pastors don't often get that opportunity. And uh, the guy, the pastor that was bringing the word, he brought a word that I've already taught from. And you know, even though I've taught it to other people, it was a word I needed to hear myself again and to be reminded of that I can find rest in Christ, the simple truth of the gospel. Christ has already accomplished for me 
therefore I can rest. You never grow too old for these gospel truths. And as I grow older, I can almost distill down all of my theology into this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. How can you outgrow that earth-shattering truth? What are the implications if Jesus loves me? If the God of this universe loves me, what are those implications and how does it shape me today? Well, that's the giver of the inheritance. Let's look now at the incomplete inheritance in verses 8, and then we're going to look at 13. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. And then in 13, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Now, we have talked about this, these two and a half tribes uh, in the past, but I'll just do a recap for you. What's going on here is uh, we're talking about the inheritance that they received, and it's actually on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, most of the land is on the west side, but we're going to deal with these two and a half tribes, and that's what's going on between verse 8 and verse 13. There's a description of the allotment of their land. And there was this agreement, the two and a half tribes, you can have the land on the east side of the Jordan only if you go with your brothers and you cross over into the west side of the Jordan and you promise to fight with them. And that has already occurred and now we're coming back to the point where they're done with that and they want their land. And so God is giving them their land, but it's very interesting here. In verse 13, the author is making an interesting note, inserting it into the description Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites, and they dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Now, what we have here is a failure to possess the promise of God. And why is that? Well, we don't actually know the specific detail. I mean, if we, if we study the scriptures, we can, we can find in, in chapter 18 some tribes that God is going to say to them, you guys have put off this work of possessing the land. In other words, they're slack. They're lazy. But that, that charge isn't leveled against these two and a half tribes. And so we can only speculate that what we have here is just some kind of general sin of disobedience. Maybe they were lazy. Maybe they were tired from war and, and, and they want to kick up their feet and have a beer. Maybe they lack perseverance that we've talked about earlier. One thing for certain, they surely don't see sin and evil the way that God sees sin and evil. Because if they would have seen sin and evil the way God sees sin and evil, they would have not failed to obey God. They would have driven these people out of the land. They would have not stopped until they did it. You know, the, uh, the Black Death is the worst uh, disease plague that has hit planet Earth. Upwards of 200 million people killed. It's like 10 times more than the COVID virus. The Black Death is, is, is bad news. It's deadly. It's contagious. It passes on. And we need to think of sin in this way. 
that it's a virus that can spread outside of your family to other people, even to future generations. I want us to see this, that sin not only can contaminate a community, but it can contaminate a future generation. I want to give you a couple of examples of that uh, this morning. Let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 23. Now, this is, is occurring in uh, a section of Scripture where the author is giving the genealogy of David, okay? But here is some, some information that's inserted into that genealogy. But Geshur and Aram took from them Havoth, Jair, Kenneth, and its villages, 60 towns. And so, you have to realize that this is actually, this little detail is something important. What it's saying is that generations later, the Israelites are still struggling. They're still fighting with these people, the Geshurites. So much so that it's saying here that the Geshurites have taken 60 towns from them. In other words, Israel is losing ground. And so for that generation to hear this, it's, yet, it's the realization that, yes, my great, 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 great grandparents, they failed to take care of business. They thought it was a little thing that these people were living in the land. They didn't realize that this virus would spread for generations to come. Let me give you a second example. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And this, these verses here, uh, as an overview, this, these are the three sons, uh, three of the sons of David. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Ammon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. And his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Do you see what's going on here? Absalom, the third son of David, is half Geshurite. He's half Israelite, he's half Geshurite. His, his mother's family is of the line of Geshur. And if you are familiar with Israel's history at this time, you may know something about this guy, Absalom. He would kill his, the firstborn. He would kill Ammon. He would try to take the kingdom from his father. He would try to have his father, David, killed. And so what these Israelites failed to do in driving out the Geshurites is having impact so much later. They thought their sin was contained to that generation, but no, we see, we see that the sin is lasting for generations. And so we have to realize this, that we don't sin in a vacuum. You may think that your sin is hidden, that your sin is small and insignificant. It's not. You don't sin in a vacuum. It affects your church. It affects your family. It affects future generations. Even when we consider a sin is small, it's not. There's no such thing as a small sin. Viruses are small. You can't see them, but they're deadly. Let's look lastly at this third point, which is the better inheritance, verses 14 and 33. It says, that to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And then down in 33, but to the tribe of Levi, 
Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. You know, I've, I've always had this dream of owning land, like lots and lots of land, uh, for various reasons. One, I want to hunt on it. Uh, but I also think it'd be a good investment. Uh, I've got stocks, I've got bonds. Uh, I can't really hold them in my hand. They're not really tangible. But land, I can walk on the grass. I can look at the trees. I can smell the trees. It's something tangible. And as we go through these chapters 13 through 21, we're going to see that all of Israel, all those tribes, they get land. The Levites don't get land. It says that their, their inheritance is these offerings. It says that their inheritance is God himself. Now, God, it sounds very spiritual, but it doesn't sound tangible. It sounds like having stocks rather than land. And it wasn't until later on as I was thinking about this later in life that I realized that these Levites, they actually got the better deal. They got the better inheritance. And it's an inheritance that all of God's people can have, an inheritance of God himself. When we come to faith in Christ, we receive not only Christ, all of who he is, but we receive all of his benefits, benefits that are physical in nature, benefits that are spiritual in nature. And, and I want to say this, that these benefits that are spiritual in nature are the better benefits. Ephesians 1.3 says this, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every is all-inclusive. All the spiritual blessings that we have are found in Christ. These are things that you can't buy. These are things you can't get in this world. Why are these spiritual blessings better? It's because our greatest need, it's not physical in nature. Our greatest need is actually a deep spiritual need. Take, for example, what we see going on in the world today. All of us are caught up in this, this search for significance, the search for meaning or purpose. We, you know, we spend money on this. Uh, we look for power. We look for position. We look for possessions, all of these things to give us some kind of meaning or significance. But what can be more significant for a human than to realize that you are a dearly loved son or daughter of the king of the universe. Dearly loved. Jesus loves me. This I know. Does that give you significance? It sure does. What do you have left to prove if the king of the universe loves and accepts you? What do you have left to prove? Not a whole lot, I would say. Nothing at all. I love the fact that Mark uh, referred to Psalm 16 in the opening. I want to bring that back before you this morning, uh, some of these verses. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Only Jesus. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? That apart from God, there is no good. Have you, are you old enough in this life to realize that? That if you're looking for good, it's not to be found in this world, but it's only to be found in God himself. And we see a little bit of a glimpse of that goodness, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And so Christ is the better inheritance. Why? Because his blessings are better. Also because it's an inheritance that cannot be taken from you. Right? Because the inheritance that all those other tribes are going to receive, this land, it's going to be taken from them. The blessings of this life can be taken from you. God cannot be taken from you. If you are in Christ this morning and Christ is in you, he has his hold on you. Because he is not going to lose you, you will never lose him. Your inheritance is sure. But I want to tell you this morning, better than the blessings or the resources, if you will, of Christ, and they're wonderful, is Christ himself. We get Christ himself. And so if you are in Christ this morning, you have everything. You actually have all of the promises of God. Did you know that all these promises that are in the Bible find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ? That's what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He would say all the promises of God find their yes, find their fulfillment in him, in Christ. You want to possess the promises of God? If you want to possess the promises of God, you need Jesus. Because if you have Jesus, you have all the promises of God. You will have everything you will ever need. Psalm 73 says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? There's nothing on earth besides you that he wants. In other words, there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more fulfilling than being in a personal relationship with Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else will satisfy And if you're here this morning, you've yet to follow Christ in faith. You've yet to have that relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God. You can have it restored. And how is that? Through faith in Christ. That means trusting in who he is and what he has done. He has lived a life that you cannot live. He is perfectly righteous. And you need righteousness. If you're going to have a relationship with God, he needs to look at you and he needs to see perfection. You can only have that through Christ. You have righteousness in Christ and Christ has fully paid for your sins with his precious blood on the cross. And I invite you this morning, if you've yet to follow him by faith, receive the better inheritance. Receive Christ through faith this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, mighty God, we thank you for an inheritance that does not fade away, but an inheritance that is better than any that we could possibly imagine. If we are in Christ this morning, we get you. 
And there's nothing else that we desire besides you. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that because we can have you because of your son and what he has done for us on the cross. He's restored a people for you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.